0: This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Neverland Tea Salon. Would you like to have your adventure now? Or would you like to have your tea first? Plan your tea adventure today at NeverlandTeaSalon.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcasts. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television scene, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Firminger. And today, I am really super psyched, I haven't used the word psyched in in an intro yet, but I'm so psyched to welcome Lexa Doig to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I love sci-fi especially kick-ass, complicated women in sci-fi. And Lexa has more than a few of those in her filmography. She played the Andromeda Ascendant on Gene Roddenberry's... Why can't I speak today? Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and I put respect on Gene Roddenberry's name. An android and a warship, yes, I said warship, who didn't like running from a fight. She was also Sonia Valentine on Continuum, one of the liberate future terrorists who... Well, I don't want to ruin what Sonia does or how she does it, but how the character chooses to leave the playing field while pushing her mission forward is one of my favorite moments of the whole series. Also, poor Brian Markinson. Speaking of which, with the exception of Steve Lobo and Terry Chen, I've had every other Liberate anarchist on my show. Lobo, Terry, hit me up. Lexa appeared on Arrow as a former member of the League of Assassins, Talia al Ghul, as well as on The Arrangement and Virgin River. She can currently be seen playing Aurora's BFF Sally Ellison, a reporter and a member of the Real Murders Club in the Aurora Tea Garden Mysteries series. So today I want to talk about like everything. Is that even possible? I wanna talk about hashtag sci-fi life and hashtag hallmark mysteries. I wanna talk AI and Simon Berry's brain and the changing landscape of the entertainment industry. And I wanna talk about whatever Lexa wants to talk about because like, I wanna know the force behind some of my favorite kick-ass characters. Lexa Doig, hi. Hi. Welcome to the YBR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, Listening to your intro, I actually feel like I have a career. You do. Yeah, you do. No, you really do. Um, And hopefully you'll you'll feel even even more profound thoughts. Like once we finish recording today, I I always have thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) I am full of thoughts. Okay, Uh, a bit of a disclaimer. I mean, regular listeners know this. We. Pretty much recording an alley. Uh, we are right above some dumpsters for an organic <laughs> grocery store. There are very angry delivery drivers dropping off their kale and their smoothies all day long. So we'll probably hear that. But I love to think about those beeping truck drivers and bleeping, yeah. bleeping the beeping truck drivers, and also you can swear on the show, oh, being goody. heard all over the world because we have listeners all over the world. That's kind of awesome. All right. We've never spoken before. No. Um, so this this should be interesting. Yes. Yeah. ASMR. <laughs> yeah, totally as Okay, so let's get to new, get to know you then by, let's start with some time travel. Sounds good. Yeah, you, I mean, you did. You did play a time travel. I did. Anarchist. I have I trouble did. calling them terrorists now. Uh, they're terrorists. I mean, they are. But I, but I also kind of empathize with what they're trying to do, um, <laughs> especially given what the world looks like right now. Yeah, totally. Uh, but okay. So, they, but you, you have spiritual of time travel. So let's get into your time travel device of choice and go back in time to your to your childhood. Right. I have a nine year old. Right. I want to know who you were when you were nine. So bring us back to nine. Oh my gosh,
1: I was a gymnast when I was nine and I was also a little bit weird. Like Nice. The thing is is when you when you're a mixed kid mm. and um for your listeners that don't know this, I'm half Filipino and half white. My dad's family is Canadian and of Scottish Irish descent and my mother's uh, an immigrant from the Philippines. And um when you grew up in the 70s because I was born in 73, um it, it, that was an anomaly like you were an odd person
0: yeah can, right? I, can I just say like <clears throat> as somebody so my mom is ukrainian my right. dad's from india my husband's filipino right. like his um his mom is from the philippines a nurse right uh, part of, of that wave of nurses yeah. in the late 60s Which, and 70s my mom um, yeah. yeah and all my aunties uh, my yeah titas. all your titas um but i find it amazing when i look back at our parents almost like say courage or bravery during that time but really it was like you know for them oh to gosh, be in totally. like to you know to either in Canada or in England where Paul's parents hooked yeah. up and got it on but like they're like they're like the generation before that they didn't do that no they did not do that fall no. in love across you know so like tell me about your parents first of all
1: oh it's so funny because like it's what I find hilarious is for the longest time in my career, there always had to be if I was cast as a family member of someone else. Yeah, who's, all- your,
0: who's your TV family back in the day? Who were you cast as? Um, oh, never. Like I was I was
1: never because I was straight up told uh, a casting director in Toronto who was who meant well. She was also half Filipino herself, um, pulled me aside one day and she's like, I, I, you're not going to have a career. I'm just saying this because I want to help you. And she brought me in for everything she could. So she was legitimately trying to help me. But she was saying, like, you're not going to play the sister or the daughter or the girlfriend or the this because of my ethnicity. Hmm. And she wasn't wrong because especially early on in my career, I had in Toronto, I had a really hard time. Nobody knew that, you know, it was a constant refrain of we don't know what to do with you. We don't know where to put you. And it's kind of like... and. Every time there was, there was some exotic story of like my mother, which I kind of take offense to, but recognize at the time that that's what it was, which is like there would always be, I would always have a white dad mm-hmm. and the mother was not around, right? So whether she died, whether whatever, and there's always some allusion to, well, they met in Vietnam or they met, you know what I mean? Like this whole thing where I'm like, okay, so a, a white man only chooses a Filipino woman when he's in a war-torn country or... Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. But that's the thing. It's like, that's why it's... It can be problematic. So there's always this, like, exotic story of to who my parents were. In real life, my parents' story is so mundane. It's very sweet. But my mother emigrated first to uh, Chicago with some of my um, titas. And she was, I think, working at the University of Chicago in the hospital there or something like that. Or she was studying there. One or the other. And my dad, when he graduated university, he taught for a few years, and then he wanted to study abroad, and the only way I think his parents would help him pay for it was um, if if he studied, like the only way he was gonna do it. So first he went to University of London, then he was at University of Paris for a while. I think he was at Princeton. Um, and then he went to University of Chicago. and That's a man who really likes school. (laughs) Let me put it this way, my brother and I have this laugh all the time, if you're at all familiar with Noam Chomsky, that's my dad. So (laughs) every time I see Noam Chomsky speak, I'm like, I'm back at the dinner table. I'm picturing I'm actually nodding. that Norm
0: Chomsky is your dad. I and I'll show you a picture of my dad. <laughs> yeah.
1: He looks like my dad too, Like so it's kind of alarming. But anyway, it's, it's one of those funny things where um, they just met at a mixer that a local older couple was having for the young people so they could meet mm-hmm. in Chicago and um, my father's from Montreal so he was on his way back there and my mother was like, oh, I'm gonna be in Montreal um, at the MNI, the Montreal Neurological Institute, sitting under Wilder Penfield. And um, he was like, well look me up when you get there and she did. And they just started dating and got married and had my brother and then eventually me. Like it's not this you know, they, so, so just kind to be clear, they didn't
0: meet in the middle of a war. Nope. Didn't give birth in a hut. Mm-mm. You know, there was no like like um Miss Saigon, you no. know yeah. Yeah, there was no. no great dramatic I'm just gonna try to the
1: mic a little bit so I can lean forward. But um yeah, there was no no exotic story. It was just yeah. a really cute kind of they met, started dating, fell in love and started breeding.
0: You know what I find interesting about that, though, is that the casting directors, and not just the casting directors, the storytellers, people like people writing it people putting the shows together couldn't conceive of at that time you know that uh that like a, a, a Scottish you know dude and a Filipino woman meant, yeah. could like meet and just like in North America and just like you know get married and stuff you oh, know yeah.
1: like my my personal life story is incredibly boring like I grew up in Don Mills which is I don't even know if it's considered a suburb of Toronto anymore because it's sort of like, you're 10 minutes from downtown. You were at Don Mills,
0: so you were, like, so what, near Fairview? Yeah, not
1: Fair far Vee from Mall. Fairview. Yeah.
0: yeah, more, like, closer to
1: Don Mills Shopping Center, but um, not far from Fairview Pauls Paul uh, lived near, oh, near okay. Don Mills. Yeah, All right. That's very cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know the hood.
0: I, I, I actually do know. It, Pinford Crescent. Yes, right. I know the hood. And this is the whole thing, as you know. It's yeah. just,
1: it's any other suburb. Like, it's yeah. not, it's, there's nothing... Dramatic. There's nothing. So the whole my entire life, it's like, oh, you're so exotic. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm a kid from a suburb. Like, yes, it's,
0: it's it. Get, what kind of relationship then did you? Oh, we're going to go all over the place. Oh yeah. Um, I know I asked you to go back in time, but I feel like we should get into it because mm-hmm. you know, growing up, um, in I mean, I did my childhood in Montreal, and then oh, I was a Montreal? teenager uh, West Island, so Kirkland, oh. literally like a few streets over from where Omari grew up. And had I not moved from Kirkland, Beaconsfield when I did, he and I were the same age, we would have been at the same high school together. That's hilarious. Uh, It just blows my mind. I used to spend my summers in uh, Shattagy. Oh. My my <clears throat> mom grew up in Chateauneuf. Oh, you're kidding? Yeah, no, I'm not kidding. That's okay, so funny. this is like, this is. Like, <laughs> people are like, what the
1: hell are they are you talking about? <laughs>
0: but see, but if they're not from back east. They're yeah, like, I don't know. No, any but you of these know what? It's, it's very, it's really representative, too, of the fact that, you know, we, in some ways, yes, we're. You know, we are our, our our family comes from away, but right. we grew up here. You know, yeah. and it's very representative of that. You know, the kids of immigrants experience, totally. right? You know, but what I found interesting interesting when I was a teenager and then growing up in in York Region, um, I was constantly being made of my otherness, increasingly more and more uh, to the point where I had a complex about it. Not because of how I was feeling about myself, really, right. but because of how other people were interacting with me and constantly right. pointing it out. And I think part of the problem is that there was no opportunity to see people like us on television, yeah. you know? And so like, what do you think about like, you know, like do you think, like how, like do you think we're in a good place right now? That it's getting better? Or like, how was your relationship with, with it's, that change? It's funny, I think it's getting better, but it's it's interesting to me as somebody who's
1: mixed race, because I went from being Filipino to being white, mm. and I've been doing this for almost thirty years. Like I'm, like I said, I'm forty seven. I did, I got my first sort of on camera TV series. It was a non union um, <clears throat> hosting gig, but like making money as an actor or as a performer uh, when I was eighteen. So I've been literally almost thirty years in this business, and it's fascinating to me, even culturally actually, to see how I've gone from being ethnic. I'm using air quotes for those that can't see, but. Um, I've gone from being ethnic or Filipino to now I'm white and white adjacent, which is also true. But it's fascinating to see the kind of um progression and I was talking to my husband about it and he was like, Do you think that's progress? And I'm like, yes and no. Like I don't think being perceived as whiter is progress. Yeah. It feels more like erasure. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you have to recognize that Sometimes I got hired, like in the sci-fi realm, for example. I know for a fact a lot of the time I got hired because of this "quote unquote" exotic mix.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you then about because you know, I mean, there are are other actresses, you know, like like yourself. There's Jennifer Spence, there's Sunita mm-hmm. Henry, you know, who you know are are all mixed race as yeah. well, and yet they found a, something of a place, at least you know, back back you know yeah. back then in the sci-fi realm, you know. Like like what do you think, like do you think did you see a key difference then, like back then? I'm saying when I talk back then, I'm talking about yeah, you know like an, yeah yeah, yeah Andromeda, yes, no. like the Andromeda years It's
1: interesting because I remember having a conversation with Keith Hamilton Cobb um, who played Teran Aszi on on uh, Andromeda he's like
0: beautiful man he'll always be Noah from All My Children right
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) beautiful man but I was like literally comparing our skin tones and we were pretty much the exact same color and I was just sort of commenting on the fact that we're a very palatable ethnicity to the Midwest
0: Mm. right
1: there's nothing frightening about how dark we are right so people can pat themselves on the back and feel good about well yes we have diversity and it's like y- you have white adjacent diversity now keith was kind of offended and i and i understand why he was offended because he's a very proud black man yeah um and i wasn't trying to you know diminish his blackness or anything like that i was just trying to point out that the, basically the colorism that exists in even in our business yeah and we need to, to talk
0: more about colorism totally. as well as Absolutely. an industry for sure
1: and and uh, it's an interesting thing, because, as I said, being that palatable ethnicity has allowed me to move in places that people who are darker, straight up, darker um, don't get those opportunities. Yeah. And it's you know, this is why representation behind the camera, I think, matters so mm-hmm. much, is because the number of times I have heard, and I, i'm I'm not going to name names because I don't want to out anybody in a negative way. But it's because everybody behind the camera, the creators of shows have been white. Mm-hmm. It's things like, oh yes, in the future, everybody's mixed. That's why we cast you.
0: And, you know, and- Can I say that so, if like, I, I find that I, like back in the day I'd been I would have been like you know especially somebody who lo- these are all these toys from yeah. sci-fi shows are from when I was a kid. Yeah. I think I love sci-fi because I could see myself yeah. in the future but the mm-hmm. problem is we're here right now. We're here right now. Yes. <laughs> I yes. don't exist on the Enterprise. Yes. I exist right here. Yeah. You know so like and it, but that but the problem <sighs> the the challenge within that is like I said
1: is because all of the creators who are well-meaning liberal progressive people I want to make that very clear. Yeah. But It's again, it's how white supremacy works, right? It's They just don't understand that implicit bias and they're not trying to be offensive, they're trying to actually do the right thing. And the reality is they are giving jobs to people like me so I'm getting my coins, Yeah. right? So that's not a bad thing. It's just that sort of nuanced discussion of like, you don't wanna take away and cancel somebody who says that. You just sort of wanna educate and say, and. You know what I mean, and And you know what I mean. There's an and to that, and that's I think um, what we're starting to see a little bit more of. But again, it's interesting because casting. I feel like I I had this conversation again with my husband, who's also an actor, um, and uh, and my agent about how it's funny because 30 years ago when I started out, there was a lot of we don't know what to do with you, we don't know where to put you, and God, some of the auditions that I went on were just absurd. Um, But and now it's it's almost similar because it's I'm not um, white enough for the white roles, but I'm not ethnic enough for the diversity roles. And it, none of this is bad. I'm still working, so I don't want to. I'm glad sound you're like working, but
0: I also like I'm literally here trying to hold my brains into my head because it's just like. But that's, the, that's what the, a journey this t- continues to be for, yeah, for you. You know, but at the same time, you know, I'm not complaining from the standpoint of
1: um, now I'm not Filipino enough for people. Uh, I, I work. Uh, there have been times where I have worked because I'm lighter skinned and uh, I don't want to say European looking, but I'm white adjacent. Yeah. <clears throat> That's the privilege that comes with white adjacent privilege. Um, so it's time. It's time for more diversity in front of the camera and behind the camera and it's time for people who are darker.
0: Yeah, <laughs> It really is. Um, like, I want to hear also, like, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I mean, you you work on one of the most popular Hallmark mystery shows. Yeah. Hallmark has gotten a like lot their of flagship, slack. flagship show. Yeah, it yeah, yeah, really should. Yeah, uh, uh, you know. So let's talk. But they've also seem. Especially in the last month, there have been some big announcements, you know, about new leadership. You literally have an African American woman who is going to be leading, you Mm -hmm. know, like the programming at the network. You have like you know some a lot of firsts coming up, you know, as far as like romantic pairings and stuff. Let's first talk about like um, has there been a cognitive dissonance for you, you know, working for Hallmark? Let's talk about that.
1: Absolutely, I'm not going to lie. There was one point. I can't remember what controversy it was because there have been a few. Yeah, where I looked at my husband because the thing about the Aurora Tea Garden Mysteries is we shoot about three or four of them this year. I think we're probably only going to. We just finished the second one that we did this year, which we had to shut down when everything else when quarantine. Cor- oh yeah,
0: COVID what's hit. going on? What's going on? Yeah, um, it's the it's the, it's the COVID. It's still the yeah, COVID. If you're listening to this in the future, and, yeah.
1: Um, and the thing is, is that what we you know we had to shut down a week into production, and you know we just finished our last two weeks. Last week, I think it was. And um, so we only got to, we might do a third, but it's a, it's a lot to ask of Candace, uh, Cameron Bure, and Mary Lou Henner, because they have to come up from yeah, LA. they live
0: here, yeah. And then
1: they have to quarantine for two weeks. Although, they have discovered that they quarantined together and had the time of their lives. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can imagine. Was,
1: they were very cute. Um, and they so they're like, we're gonna stay together every time now yeah. in a house instead of in a hotel. Um, And uh, so I don't know if we're going to do two or three. But the thing is, is because I don't have like a locked in contract with the Aurora Tea Garden Mysteries. It's Hmm. just kind of like what we do is we kind of negotiate three in terms of uh, payment. Like this is what you'll get paid for these, you know, for each of these movies, for three movies. Um, And if you're available. So they... If they don't book me and I'm not available, and this has happened, yeah. um, when I was doing the arrangement, I wasn't available for one of them, I can't do it. So I don't have an obligation to do them per se, like I'm not contractually obligated unless it's that time frame of they called, these are our dates and you're booked. Yeah. So I did have a bit of a cognitive dissonance or, or a question where I looked at my husband and I'm like, I don't know if I can continue working for Hallmark. And he's like, mortgage, mortgage. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I get it, yeah, um, it's a bit tough. and. I haven't reconciled it because at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm a woman of color working on that network, and I'm, I'm taking their money; they're not getting mine. Yeah. And trust me when I say the donations that come from those paychecks go to the blackiest black black, gayest gay gay, transiest trans, You know what I mean? Like they go they go to those kind of organizations, especially at a time like this.
0: So, but do you feel safe speaking out about it? Like I know that like on social media, you are incredibly vocal, you know, right. about your support of social justice issues and stuff. But, you know, especially like in like in the before times. Right. Um you know, before the the jewelry ad was pulled, and there was a lot more outrage oh, right, and a right, lot of right. focus was really that was like that was just the end of last year. A lot of right. focus put on on Hallmark. Like, did you feel you know, like when Ali Liebert posted what she did right. on you know uh, speaking out as somebody who directed and has been the face of you know some right. some you know some uh, of the romantic. Uh, comedies but like you know she posted speaking out you know as a queer woman how right. painful it was for her right you know and that she couldn't work in that kind of situation right anymore you know like but that was she, few and far between there are a lot of people saying love is love but not a lot of people saying it's bad that my network that right. I work for did this like right. you know because people are worried about their mortgages and right. stuff so yeah. like do you do you feel that there's been the enough of a change now where you are able to do that more or I think
1: so yeah like I mean in terms of having this conversation or even what I'm like posting on social media now like I kind of took a break from social media for a while just because I don't I'm an old I, I don't entirely <laughs> you're understand an old it,
0: that's a that's right? now an,
1: out, an old. Yeah, I'm an old yeah um, I, I don't entirely understand it like I have been formed on multiple occasions by my teenagers that I do Instagram wrong like I just, my Instagram feed is a hot mess. Um, of late, they haven't been um, criticizing me for my Instagram feed because it's all, you know, social activism kind of stuff. But um, it's, I just find it funny, and because I,
0: I get the same criticism from my nine-year-olds, right? Like,
1: because yeah. part of the thing too is that I don't. Um, I'm Canadian. I think you're probably very familiar with this. We're not comfortable with self promotion. Like we don't really know how to toot mm-hmm. our own horns and. And it just feels very self-aggrandizing and a little bit gross. So I generally don't post stuff. And I'm kind of like, who gives a shit about my opinion? Like, I, you know what I mean? My opinion yeah. is largely irrelevant in a lot of matters. Um, I don't mind sharing funny pictures or, or in funny observations, but for the most part, I, I kind of stayed away from social media for a while. So when that happened, I kind of missed it. Like I caught up with it like about a month afterwards. Yeah, And that's funnily enough, when I had that conversation with my husband, where I'm like, I feel like if I jump into the fray with an opinion now, I'm a little late. But also, yeah, it's important. Like The interesting thing about being, or my experience anyway, I can't speak to anybody else, but somebody who has come up in this industry as a mixed race woman of color, um, you sort of become inured to the bullshit that you have to deal with. You just kinda of smile and nod with the what are you? You know what I mean? You're just kind of like you're just
0: so like I you see, heard, I mean we still
1: get that even
0: now. Yes. Like
1: I'm sure you've heard that your whole life being yeah. next yourself, right? Like where you just kind of get used to it and you're just like, whatever. If I allowed all of these things to bother me, and this is me specific, um if I allowed all of these things to bother me, I wouldn't leave my fucking house. Yeah. So you know, in terms of working for Hallmark, it's fascinating. I only do the Aurora T garden mysteries. Like everybody else I find it interesting when I speak to other actors who work on Hallmark land that they're like, oh yeah, I've got this Christmas movie, I've got that. I don't even get invited to the um, to their upfronts, Wow! which again is fine, because I'd have to get on a plane, and I, I wouldn't probably go anyway even if I was invited, so yeah. I'm not trying to shade them in any way, shape, or form, but it, it is one of those things where I'm like, there's never been even a sniff, and I don't think, and I remember it was Martin Wood, that cast me in the Aurora Tea Garden because he directed. He directs a lot of them, but he directed the first. Two yeah, there's or three. a
0: lot of sci-fi guys who you know, like like Peter DeLuise as yeah. well. You know, yeah. And um, I uh, because our
1: daughters, we live like a block and a half away from each other, and our daughters at the time were playing on the same soccer team, and we were at the side of the soccer pitch, and he's like, I want you to come in and read for this thing, and I was like, Dude, I'll I'd read the phone book for you, but I'm not gonna get cast in Hallmark. Yeah. And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And I said, "I have tattoos. I'm beige. I swear all the time. I'm currently playing a terrorist. Like,
0: you know what I mean?" And <clears> I'm <throat> like, "I'm not. I'm not a going woman to get after cast. my own heart. <laughs>
1: like, I'm, I'm not gonna get cast in a, a Hallmark. Yeah. Like, I've read for Hallmark before. Nary a sniff. Like, I just don't. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't kind of read. And I went in and did what I personally thought was probably the worst audition I've ever done. Um, and." Uh, Martin and Jim Head, who's one of our producer writers, the executive producer writer, who is uh, American, um, we're like, oh yeah, no, that's totally, we love her. I don't think I would have gotten cast if it was anybody other than yeah. Martin Wood. So because I still, I don't, I Hallmark does not come knocking on my door. They don't, they don't. I don't even read for Hallmark. I don't know. Also, too, if that's a rate thing, like where my agent just goes, yeah she doesn't work for scale minus. Yeah. Um, so I don't I, like I don't know or for scale like I mean my I have negotiated about scale for the ones that I do so I don't know if it's a matter of I, if it's a money thing or if it's my loud
0: yappy voice on social media currently like, <laughs> I don't know what do you think are the dangers of of not having you know diverse casts on a big ch- big popular channel like Hallmark. I
1: think the thing is, is it's alienating, right? Like, I was having a conversation with somebody on set um, who was in agreement because I'm like, the Hallmark diversified by creating these other wheels or these other shows that have almost entirely black casts, which is, I guess, progress, but it feels like, and this is the content we make for black people. yeah. And this is the content we make for everyone else. And it's like, you know, the world, it's interesting to me, and I'm sure you have the same experience being mixed, your husband being mixed. I grew up around a lot of mixed people. Heck yes. Like my world was not just black, or just white, or just Filipino, or just Sri Lankan, or just, yeah. you know what I mean, that's not what my world looked like. When I went to school, I was hanging with the Greek kids, the Filipino kids, the Jamaican Chinese, that like, you know what I mean, like all this, that was what my world looked like.
0: Yeah.
1: And I never saw that reflected on television. I'm starting to see it a little bit now. It still feels a little token, uh, tokenism at times when mm-hmm. you see it. Um, that I hope with the change in leadership at Hallmark that they're going to recognize that that's a thing. I think part of the problem is their target market has traditionally been very white and Protestant. Yeah, white middle America. White middle America. and. But the funny thing is, is I was at a sci-fi convention, the number of people that came up to me to say, oh, you don't have any Sally pictures? Like they wanted to talk to me about the Aurora Tea Garden mysteries. So there are a broad spectrum of people, That's progressive funny. people too, yeah. I might add, who watch Hallmark and I'm dead shocked. Like every time I encounter that, I'm like, really? You do, huh? And they love it and I get it, it's an escapism. And I have this personal theory, right? When everything's going good in the world, people like dark dramas, Mm. right? They love Game of Thrones, they love Westworld, they love The Handmaid's Tale. When things are going dark in the real world, they want superhero movies and Hallmark, yeah, because it's escapism. Right? They're like, I get enough of the shits, Bill, when I turn on the news. I want to watch something where I know the good guy wins at the end Mm -hmm. and I don't have to think too hard. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't have to get emotionally invested and have my heart broken. Yeah. I'm talking to you, Game of Thrones. But at the same time, it's, you know, and I hope, like I said, Hallmark broadens that horizon and so more people can see themselves reflected in these, you know, yeah. I refer to Hallmark as a style of acting, right? It's like panto, because the reality is, you know, we're, uh, uh, we're in Hallmark Movies and Mysteries, so there's always a murder to solve mm-hmm. in the, in the Tea Garden Mysteries. Nobody, when they find a dead body, goes, oh my, that's not how real life works, right? Yeah. So you have to find this happy medium that's still truthful as much as it can be, but isn't, you know, you're not going eight layers deep here. Yeah, you're yeah. going like deep as a teaspoon. But it's panto. It's that's what people want to see. They yeah. know what they're tuning in for. They're not tuning in. It's like soup. It's to comforting. The yeah, kind of. Yeah, and you know, is it my favorite kind of acting? No. But at the same time, it's I really like the people that I work with. Like I go that to that makes work, a difference, eh? We just laugh like yeah. all day long. All of us laugh like everybody. Candace and Mary Lou, uh, Nile. Peter Benson, like Miranda Frigon, like Peter
0: Benson. Yeah, yes, one of the more, one of the more serious. Not at all. Not at all. Serious. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Kat Hadquist, like Kat. There's yeah. all you know. There's people that you just go to work and you get excited to see them and hang out with them. And oh yeah, I've got to say lines. Okay, sure. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, we gotta take a work break, guys. Actually, get some work done. And so for that reason, I will continue to do them because I really enjoy the people that I work with, and they're all really good people. Yeah. So that nuance as well of. You know, understanding that working for Hallmark is working for a local production company. I'm not justifying it, and I'm not trying to kind of like the criticisms that are launched at Hallmark are incredibly valid. Mm-hmm. And circling back to the question about the cognitive dissonance, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm aware of it and kind of observing it in my own mind. But I'm like I said, I'm a woman of color getting my coins. They're not getting mine. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I'm not paying
0: <laughs> them. They're paying me. Yeah. Um. I'm curious about the kind of feedback that you've received from Filipinos in the audience. You know, because I, like, my husband will be able to tell you every single, like, it's so exciting for him when I was like, he was like, oh, there's Filipino. Oh, like, you know, Mig Macario. Or or, 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 or my daughter seeing, you know, uh, Laritza Tronco, you know, like, on the order, like, that's, Important and exciting to see someone who, you know, who kind of sort of looks like you, you know, which I never had that growing up. Like, what kind of feedback
1: have you received? It's funny because it's having been doing this for almost 30 years, it's changed over the years in the sense of like when I was younger, and I mean, your husband can probably tell you this, uh, Filipinos will claim just about anybody. Like, and I mean that in the best possible way. Like, it's very comforting, and that's why I've always kind of more identified with being Filipino in some respects than being white. Like and I don't say this in any way to disparage my white family cuz they're who I'm actually physically closest to. Yeah. And I love them very much and I know they love me and they're wonderful people, but um it's visually and like viscerally my extended family who are not actually technically related to me like they're it's in that filipino way of like all my mom's friends or my aunties oh, <laughs> and they all married non-filipinos yeah. like um my one cousin is filipino dutch another one is filipino east asian another one is filipino guyanese another one like you know what i mean like wow. there's and that's just how i kind of grew up so yeah. but like if you make adobo you will be claimed However, as time has gone on, as more sort of Filipino pride has built up in the, in the diaspora. Pride. Yeah. yeah, Pinoy pride in the uh, diaspora is that you you get like, well, you're not really Filipino though, because you're Canadian and you're kind of white, which is fair because I do understand that culture. Like I don't, I've never, I've technically been to the Philippines once. I was a year old. I know nothing about it. Yeah. Everything I have is kind of watered down or filtered through my mom, which And this is another thing that I had this sort of revelation of, and I always knew growing up, but I never really thought about it, of late with this whole kind of examining the tentacles of white supremacy and and the tendrils of that and how it infects everybody's lives, was realizing that my mother never taught me to speak Cebuano, which is her dialect. Um, She didn't teach my brother or myself to speak Cebuano and didn't have us raised Catholic which most Filipinos or a lot of Filipinos are
0: Catholic just my eyes went wide I'm like whoa
1: but she didn't yeah. do that because in the 70s she didn't want us to stick out any more than we already did so, like, in terms of how white supremacy infects your own
0: life, it's like there's a disconnect hurts between my approach. heart to know it, that she she that felt, one hurt me yeah. too. Like, I mean, and I kind of knew that because I they, didn't learn I didn't learn Hindi as right. the, for the same thing. You know, my dad was just like, you know, he he had had an arranged marriage with an Indian woman, came to Canada after six months, she ran off with her boyfriend. Oh my, yeah, and so um, and then he was like, you know, drowning his sorrows in a Montreal go-go bar, and be, and then he met my mom in the tax department and fell in love. And right. then uh, went to uh, my grandmother and was like, "I'm going to marry this um, Ukrainian woman," uh, and she's like, "Well, this time you make your own mistake because she had chosen the last wife, right? You know." And so I think my dad had a lot has um, like a re- like just a, I'm going to raise my kids so that they're not like so that they have options beyond the culture, you right. know, as well, you know. And but at this what that so didn't learn didn't learn Hindi, mm-hmm. you know, um, and. I feel like that's a loss. Like I know some phrases now, right. know, but I probably know more Tagalog than I do Hindi right. at this point, right? Like it's in because language is a connection, but a lot of it was just like, you know, you're here, you're in Canada, you belong here. Yeah. I don't want to make it hard for you, but yeah. you know, that the fact that they even had to make yeah. those choices. So yeah. can I ask them as a parent, right. you know, what, what um, like like what how are you, if at all, sharing? You know, especially the Asian side, the Filipino side, because right. you know, with with your kids. Oh, just it's so much. It's so funny. Food is food. Food is the
1: thing, right? Yeah. So I don't. There, I cook adobo like all the time, but I, I don't make a lot of pancit because it's really labor intensive. Mm-hmm. It's like it, there's so much chopping. I can't. I just <laughs> I can't. There's just so much chopping. It gets exhausting. But and food but also just kind of discussing it and like when you talk about your life it's really funny because my, my kids are three quarters white basically right mm-hmm. they have my coloring so they look like me um if you look closely you can see that they look like michael as well like they, they do look like a mix of us but they look more like me because their coloring is like mine the asian is powerful yes yeah the, the dark genes are powerful um and it's so funny to hear them periodically be pissed off at somebody who's saying something ignorant or foolish, and they're like, "Fucking white kid," oh, he's just being a white boy. And I mean, a couple of times I've had to look at my son or my daughter and be like, "Gear down, big rig," because you're white, like yeah. you're white, Jason. And then I go, "Wait a minute, who the fuck am I to say that to them?" Yeah, because if when people say that to me, I'm like, "Oi, my life experiences." Disagree with what you've decided who I am so yeah. it's a, it's a weird and interesting balance but it's very funny because um, I like that they're empowered though they you know? they're very and, funny like they yeah. they're, they're very empowered in that regard and my daughter has really taken up the mantle of calling out her friends for their bullshittery.
0: God, but it's a great time to be raising kids in a lot of ways. I mean, yes, the world is a total trash fire. It is, but I have a lot of faith
1: in Generation Z, Zed, Generation Z, whatever it is, but I have a lot the, of faith. The young, well, we're olds.
0: Yes. It's in the young people. The, the young. I do. Yeah. The yeah. Youngs. youngs. Yes. I
1: have a lot of faith in the youngs, <laughs> Me interestingly too. enough. And um, I'm I'm very impressed with them, but it is it is a funny thing. My mom um, is loves the fact that my daughter has sort of embraced and identifies with the Filipino side of her, you know, her heritage—the Filipino part of her heritage. My mother loves it. Yeah, but again, it's also that scary thing too of feeding into a colorism that I know also exists within Filipino culture. Oh, she's so fair. Yeah. Or in, ha- like, in
0: India, they do that too. Yeah, it's she's like, so pretty. <laughs> um, oh, oh, and that you're so pretty.
1: Um, I'm for anybody out there who thinks I'm making fun of the Filipino accent, I'm not.
0: Yeah, she's really <laughs> I not.
1: Love it. Um, but yeah, it, because my daughter and myself too, being mestiza, are. Are sort of considered on the prettier end of the more more visually acceptable end because of our European heritage. Mm-hmm. So it's a you know it it is an interesting thing. But she's often said to me, my daughter, because she opted not to. You know you have to take second language courses, and as soon as she could drop French, she did, which broke my heart because I grew up speaking you know that Quebecois, a little bit of Franglish because oui. I would spend Je comprends in, ça right? <laughs> because I would spend my summers in Chattagy but I've lost it because you don't use it so you kind of
0: lose I it I just right? love that you I'm sorry but like I love that you know Shadigi. Oh. I, it's so awesome. Like, cause it's, I mean, yeah. I spent a lot of time there too. Right. You know, and then the reserve is there as yeah. well. And it's, but it's not like. Oh, when a, the whole, like,
1: Oka thing happened. My, my aunt and uncle, like, their backyard was wow. like, they had tanks parked in their backyard. Oh, it was What a
0: time. But it's, but it's amazing though, because it's like, it's not like it's a resort town. It's like a no, very, like, it's very specific. Very specific. It's a very specific It's cover. such a deep cut, but. Yeah. Um,
1: but it's, it's funny because she, my daughter, chose to take Spanish instead because she wanted to be closer to her Filipino heritage. And then I was sort of trying to explain to her, I'm like, well, you, if you want to practice your Spanish, you can talk to Lola. She's like, she speaks Spanish? And I'm like, she's Filipino. Yeah, like they, they had to, at least when my mom was young, they had to learn. It's a colonized nation. Yeah, it's a colonized yeah. nation. And sort of explaining that and explaining the idea that, um, because I was, who was it that was recently playing the Canucks? It the wild... Uh, sorry, sports... There, there was a hockey player <laughs> who's, a thing, who's half Filipino. and um, Oh, fights. I haven't...
0: Paul doesn't play sports or follow sports, right. but wow, I can't believe I haven't heard about the half uh, Filipino. Right.
1: Who's, who's, <laughs> I can't remember the the um, player's name. But my husband was like, well, I think he's mixed Filipino and black. And I was like, no, I don't think he is. And he was like, yeah, but... And I was trying to... Enlighten my husband about the indigenous Filipino Aeta. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they're, yeah, they're they're very they're quite quite dark. Um, and he has like, some cousins who are who are that yeah. kind of. And he was like, I had no idea. And I said, Yeah. So it's it's entirely possible that he, there's no black in his family, but yes, he's got very curly hair or whatever. Like that's also comes from the Philippines. Yeah. Sort of explaining that and introducing my daughter to the fact because she's like, wait a minute, indigenous Filipinos. Like she didn't clock that and I'm like, yeah, the Philippines is a colonized nation. They're yeah. colonized by the Spanish.
0: Colonized? I mean it's I mean, honestly, it's like series of islands and stuff yeah. and then be like, this is the Philippines, like just yeah. like assigning a
1: Yeah, even though there's quite a broad demographic of phenotypes across the Philippines. You
0: weren't kidding when you said that you would be able to talk about this kind of stuff oh, yeah. for
1: for oh, way too long. For Sorry, your podcast m- is gonna go on forever.
0: No, I, I love how hey, if we, it goes on we can do two parts. It's totally right. fine. We can totally we can totally um do that. Uh, Before we talk about it, I want to get into some of the specific roles, Um, but I mean, I... I I love Filipino culture. I can't believe how much I didn't know about it right. before I was with Paul, and then I've spent the last couple of decades just like you know. Right. I love ube mama. I oh, yeah. love you know. Um, I mean, and also like the whole like honestly the focus on food and family. Yeah. Like when we got when we got married, like. Um, Did you guys have sponsors? Uh, no, because I'm not Catholic, so we didn't right. do we didn't do that. Didn't but do that. Paul's like like we had like 60 people come, and then like 30 of them just stayed in Paul's family's house, and yeah. it was just so joyous, and they sang Carrie Oh, until yeah. late at night and, and all of that, but um, I also feel like you know North Americans really don't understand know any, enough about Filip- Filipino culture or the food or or anything. So like, what is your what is your favorite? Like, give me your favorite foods.
1: Oh, um, well, adobo is a staple. Love me some pansi. Can't do dinuguan or balut. I just can't do it.
0: Bal- can't. Balut is like an eating challenge food. I'm sorry, it is totally an it's eating challenge it's food. pickled quail. Egg. No, it's fertilized duck egg. So oh, duck is, egg. Yeah, it's fertilized. It's a little egg. bird embryo, and you're looking at the bird, and you're like, no, thank you. Yeah, you can actually
1: <laughs> identify the
0: parts: the beak, the eyes, yeah. the toes. Like it's just. But hard we're supposed pass. to be talking of Filipino food right now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, okay, I like. There's a deep fried banana. <laughs> oh yeah. No, like it's <laughs> really
1: funny because I have this whole um the desserts. Yeah, I'm big into the cassava cakes and the cassava cakes, ube, anything. It's purple. Yeah, yeah. Right. like you know what I mean? You're just like, it's purple, it's so nice. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of Sinigang, um, not really big in the Sinigang. Like I'm just trying to think of all the different foods off the top of my head and they're all leaving me right now because I'm on the spot talking about it. But I'm sorry,
0: it'll come no, back. No, it's all good, but yeah. I, yeah,
1: there's so much. Like I, It's comfort food to me. Like I remember making um, chicken noodle soup. To me, chicken noodle soup is supposed to have ginger and lemongrass and you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. what it's supposed to have in it with, like, glass noodles, the vermicelli, the rice vermicelli. And, oh, yeah. and my husband's like, that's not chicken noodle soup. And I'm like, it's comfort food to me. Yeah. Like,
0: yes, Or it Lugal. Is. Yeah. Which is comfort food in our house. Right. Um Okay, honestly, you know what? I'm going to, in the footnotes for this episode, I'm going to put some links for um, some of the uh, Filipino bakeries and uh, eateries in yeah. town for Goldilocks, sure. Max's. I know Josephine's Clothes, but there's Aling Mary where I get my pandasal. I'm going to have
1: to find out all the stuff because I like I don't know where these places are, right? Like, I know Goldilocks,
0: but other than that, I'm like, I haven't
1: been to any of these Filipino restaurants and now I need oh, to Oh, no. Me.
0: I'll I'll hook you up. I'll show you where to get your pandasal, your pulverone, and your skyflake. Okay. I'm into it. I want to talk sci-fi. Yes. Uh, because, you know, you, just, you got a little experience. Got, yeah, a little experience. Um, I mean, I put respect on Gene Roddenberry's name. Gene Roddenberry, um, Passed away in 1991, so mm-hmm. you know, like uh, like a decade before, like almost a decade yeah. before um, Andromeda uh, flew onto our screens. Right. But I, I'm so I know that Majel Barrett Roddenberry was really involved in this as well. Can you talk about like what role Roddenberry's spirit played in the production and like did a spirit loom large at all? I think all? a lot of it.
1: I got to credit that to Robert Hewitt-Wolf, who wrote the Bible for it and was an executive producer for two or three seasons on the show, um, because Robert had been writing for one of the other Star Trek franchises, um, a couple of the other Star Trek franchises, I think, Yeah, and sort of created this with uh, Majel and Gene Jr., I think. because I guess the, the concept for Andromeda was, I mean, I might be exaggerating here, was kind of like written on a napkin. Like it wasn't a fleshed out sort of idea. Well, it seemed idea. like he had a lot of ideas, right? Yeah, you know, like it was a sort of a whole thing that, that Robert was the one that kind of congealed it all together and took it. And, and because of his history with Star Trek um, or the Star Trek franchise, he was the one that I think really understood the the point of yeah. Of uh, of Gene's intention and Majel wasn't. I think she was more involved in the beginning. I think I met her once. Yeah. Um. She wasn't involved once we were shooting the show. Uh, frankly, once once Robert was ousted on the show, um, it it was more Kevin Sorbo's idea of what he wanted to do, which was a little bit more space cowboy e and mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So, um, initially, I think with the casting and with the concept of the show. It was a very Roddenberry-esque kind of, again, a future where you see like part of the reason why I was cast, not to bring race into it again, but was because I was mixed in, and because I was an avatar of a ship. It's like yeah. if you're going to design something that's going to be um, uh, approachable, a, a, a visage that is approachable to a lot of different people, we're going to try and include a lot of different You know, facial features that maybe look like they could be familiar to this culture, that culture, whatever, and that's why they cast me. Yeah. Um, I think as the show went on, it became
0: less Roddenberry esque and more Sorbo esque. Yeah, Sorbo esque space cowboy. Yeah. Um, I think Andromeda is one of the reasons that I'm nice to Siri. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I always say please and thank you. Um, like, how did, like, has the experience of play, like, what are your thoughts about our artificial intelligence? And, like, like, how does this shape how I, you interact I, with AI? I will welcome our AI
1: yeah. Um You know what? I actually don't interact with AI. I have a rule in my house that, hey, Siri, has to be turned off on your phone. Nobody's allowed to use it. I don't like the idea. And it's not even like I have this, you know, like, dark side that needs to be hidden. It's just I don't like... Um, I don't like that lack of privacy, that anything mm. is basically listening to you at any given time. Yeah. Um, I remember, was it on the arrangement? There was some show that I was working on where you know, we were gifted uh, an Amazon Echo. I think it was the arrangement, but it was before they had got to Canada. So there wasn't really the infrastructure here for it, and I gave it to a friend of my husband's because I was like, I, I, I don't, don't, I want, don't it. want it in my house. Yeah. Like I just don't want to walk into a room and go, when, you, when I can walk over and turn on a light switch, is it really for me to
0: go, hey, Siri, turn on the lights? How about I just turn on the fucking light switch? Like, yeah. it's not really... It, I only use, hey, Siri, and right. I'll, I'll do respect to you, Siri, because you're there on the... But, like, if I'm if I'm loading the dishwasher, my hands are goopy, and I want to change right. the podcast, Right. you know? Wait, did she turn on? Well,
1: no, do it's you know fine. what's hilarious is <laughs> what I was talking about Martin Wood earlier. His daughter's name is Siri. Yeah. It was named Siri long <laughs> before this whole Siri thing happened. And so I was just laughing because between Google Alexa and... Apple Siri. We were just like, we can't have those things in our house anyway because, you know, those are our names. It was yeah. just very
0: funny. What kind of challenges did you you face bringing a role? I mean, because so, the Andromeda Ascendant, you were the, you were on screen, yeah, you were the holo- hologram, and mm-hmm. then you were an android as well, yeah. you know, but, you know, um, and yet also, like, loving and capable of falling in love with other warships. Right. and Like my husband. <laughs> like your husband, the yeah. other warship. Um, but, uh, what well, I mean that that's a very unique kind of role to play, you know, because yeah. you're not you're not a human, you know. Well, so tell me the, about the, the interesting
1: challenges. thing is, is what like having discussed it with uh, Robert Wolf. Uh, initially, he was sort of like, "Listen, this this character is not data." Yeah. From Star Trek, this this you know the AIs and Andromeda and the universe of the Andromeda and they are their own race. They have children. You know what I mean? Like the two AIs will get together and decide, yes, we want you know we want offspring. No, no. And they will Data had a daughter, and he had a
0: cat. Yes,
1: but, <laughs> yes, very true, Spot. But they, you know what I mean? Like they, but they like they are considered their own separate race, and yeah. they are autonomous, and they have those same sort of rights, and. Um, because interestingly enough because of the nature of how we had to shoot those three different iterations of, of the same character um, I kind of had made a decision that they would have different slightly different personalities mm. sort of like different facets of the same personality so um, the AI that you would see on a screen is the most clinical and, and unemotional and in yeah. fact has compartmentalized her emotions into the avatar which was the physical android So that was the one that felt emotions. The other two didn't really. But then this sort of middle ground of a hologram that you would see is somewhere in between the two who would occasionally act as like... um I don't want to say a translator, but a mediator between
0: the disagreements that the AI and the uh, um, avatar would have. This stuff happens in my brain all the time. All yeah. these different, Sabrina's arguing with no, each no, other. But yeah. That's actually,
1: interestingly <laughs> enough, why it wasn't really difficult for me to compartmentalize that and to play them as three different characters. It was fun to shoot, actually, because yeah. they'd have to go and run and change. But often how we ended up doing it, because that bogged down, um, how it initially started was that, when we'd shoot those things, they'd pull out the green screen. I'd go and change my costume, or I'd go do this, and then I'd shoot it again as that character. It really bogged down production. So it would end up being what it ended up being is that we'd shoot, you know, the show with. Um, the uh, Andromeda uh, uh, Android yeah, and then there would pretty much be one day of shooting that was just me yeah. doing all the green screen and all the all that other kind of stuff and it, because we got it down to a fine science it ended up being half a day in the production schedule where we'd shoot all that other stuff so I didn't necessarily always get to play against myself in real time um, but again like you said about having these conversations in your head with yourself with your different facets of your own personality it wasn't that challenging for me to differentiate the three different personalities when yeah. you're them because, it, like you said, you you have those conversations in your head all the time.
0: Um, so my mom is a huge sci-fi fan. She's the one who right. got me started. And when I told her that I was gonna be speaking to you, she wanted to know, and I'm like, please don't make me ask about episode fun. But like, <laughs> but, like <clears throat> but she wanted to know, bec- at the very end, what mm. if you're, if your character because the the you we see at the end is the rebuild right. you and she wanted to know if when you are looking back right. you know at Dylan um, right. if it's the old Rami co- you know coming out you know uh, and that she's still in there somewhere or if it's the more cold clinical newer version I think I'm,
1: I I don't know I don't even remember this I feel really bad it's sorry, okay, Sabrina's
0: but I'm mom. sure, you know what, <laughs> at that point, mom, it's
1: <laughs> not, not gonna lie, I uh, I probably more of the new Rami yeah. as opposed to the old Rami. Yeah. That would have been my guess, because at the time I was really irritated with Kevin, so. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, you've mentioned him a couple of times. Right. Um, I'd like to talk about, I mean, because it was a shock to me right. to discover that he's this total, like, right-wing guy, you know, who puts forth a lot of ideas that I that I don't hold as being, like, in step. Is that is that, when you're working on, as part of a set where somebody might hold a totally different viewpoint to you, mm. like, is that, is that, what kind of challenges does that present? You know, because I'm sure that's not the only time that you're encountering somebody who holds a very different worldview, you right. know, than, than you do, you know, and yet you're on, you're as part of a, of a cast then you have to interact a certain way on screen like well how do you do that how do you do that uh
1: you avoid discussions about politics where you can that's for sure um but i think it's like family gatherings (laughs) it is a little bit like it it also depends because you know you look at i'm thinking of um somebody that i know that i'm very very fond of and i think is great that i know through other sources hold slightly different views than I do on some topics, but on most topics we actually are in agreement and get along really well. So that's not particularly difficult. Yeah, It's, you know, when I think about Sorbs, uh, bless his heart, I disagreed with him on most topics. He's an affable guy, he's a a generally affable human being. He's a great number one. uh, In terms of on the call sheet, I have this personal opinion that number one on the call sheet sets the tone. Yeah. So there's this trickle down effect. If you've got an asshole, who's number one in the call sheet, chances are you're gonna have problems on your show That aren't just going to be them. It's going to be other people that kind of either feel empowered to be an asshole or have to stand their ground to protect sets themselves. Sets the tone for the entire. It totally thing. does. Yeah. he actually sets a pretty reasonable tone. Like as much as I disagree with him and his politics and what he has to say, he he sets a very reasonable tone to shoot a television show. And he's a. Very I'm glad hard to worker. hear that. Yeah, yeah, and he's a very hard worker, and um, you know, he's yes, he plays a lot of golf, but um, he also in defense of that because I know some people he had to be wrapped up by 6 o'clock every day um, I don't think that was him being spoiled he had a um, he had suffered a series of strokes mm. due to overwork when he was working on Hercules so a lot of it was to kind of prevent that from happening again yeah um, so he ha- he did have to look after his health but uh, yeah no there were multiple times where Kevin and I actually got into it a little bit not in a, in a particularly aggressive way but where I'd be like just dude stop talking I don't want to hear that you can't just yeah. stop Please stop talking. Again, this was also like the early aughts where, you know, no way that would be okay on a set now. Yeah. Right. It was a different time. It, it was a different, a
0: different time. time. Never mind. That was yeah. the
1: early aughts. Never mind in the early, you know, early to mid 90s. Like, yeah. The stuff that was said and done on a set, not even, and to me, which isn't even all that salacious or terrible. It's yeah. just, you know, you got to have a bit of a thick skin to deal with.
0: Um, so. I want to talk about a different set. Yes. And a different number one. Right. I, I like this set because I visited a few times. Right. Time about continuum. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, that Rachel. Yeah. What? A, what a number what one. A, she what was. a number one.
1: What a number one. I say <laughs> that with pride because
0: Rachel was literally awesome. the nicest, the mm-hmm. ni- one of the nicest humans, and one of the smartest yeah. humans you're
1: ever gonna meet. To. Yeah. Like, it's seemingly like tall, blonde, gorgeous, and breathtakingly
0: intelligent. Yeah. Not a bad mix. I love that breathtakingly before intelligent. I love to hear those words together. Um, I I love this show, right? Um, And one of the I mean, there's so many reasons to, to rave about it, and I do it all the time on this podcast. But one of the reasons that I love it is because it really kind of made me. It challenged my idea of the quote unquote bad guy, right. and it really, like, it really made me just kind of sit and be like, wow, everybody has a point of view, you know, right. and there might be validity to all points of view, you know, because, and that's why I like the liberate guys. Like, I, I know they're yes, they're future terrorists, but I also see them as anarchists, right? You know, as people trying to to uh, they do awful things so that good will come of it, right? You know, it's very Machiavellian. So, yeah, right. totally. Is so, and um, I mean, your your character has quite the. Uh, yeah the exit from the from the show yeah um yeah brian markinson totally deserved it but I mean, let's markinson. talk about like <laughs> a, is it important like do you to empathize with a character like sonia like do you have to understand her pov or the pov of a future terrorist in order to play a future terrorist i
1: think i think so like yeah. i mean the one thing that you're sort of is drilled into whether it's an acting school or acting class or whatever is so, you know don't judge your characters why I personally have a really hard time with Neil LaBute plays. Um, They're so well written and I love them and I love seeing them performed well. I personally am like, I have the number of times where I've been like looking at, especially in um, uh, Ratner's class, Mm -hmm. is sitting there going, I I have no in to these characters because I just keep judging them. (laughs) Like It's so bad. I just keep judging them. But um, I think it's a, yeah, judging your character is not a good thing I completely disagreed with Sonia Valentine uh, in terms of how she went about what she did, but I understood
0: why oh, she did it. Oh, the double crosses? And yeah, like, yeah. but
1: I also understood why she did it. So a lot of it is what you have to do. For me personally, this is you know a, a peek into my process, is I just have to find the line in me, which is what has to happen to me for me to go, this is okay to do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's one thing to live a very privileged life and say, I wouldn't make that choice. I wouldn't make that choice. Well, I've not been pushed to that place. I think it also creates a more dynamic character. if As opposed to somebody who will go there at the drop of a hat. Yeah. You have to be, you know, what, what layers, what, what has happened in your history to push you to that point? Um, where you make the choices and, and justify them in your head, right? Yeah. Um,
0: Simon Barry. The Great Kazoo the great kazoo it's a friend of the podcast Canadians dumb dumb uh now the showrunner of uh, the number Warrior 1 a, which i Netflix. haven't seen i like i saw
1: um lexa
0: you're gonna love it i bet i saw i saw a trailer for it and i'm like simon i mean what do you think is like the what was your reaction to Simon's scripts? You know, when they when they would arrive, or or, the, or to the universe that he created. Like, what do you think is going on in that brain of Simon Barry's? Um, I, th- I think there's a lot going on in Simon's head. Um, <laughs> we worry, we worry.
1: <laughs> uh, but you know what? It's funny. I years ago did um, a movie, a very important film uh, called Friday the Thirteenth Part Ten, Jason X. Uh, yes, <gasps> Jason Wayne in Penfield. Space. It yeah. was an important film with a capital I. But um, the director Jim Isaac was the Vis guy for all of Cronenberg's films, so Cronenberg played a, a um, cameo in it, and I got to work with him. Oh wow! Yeah, it was. I was just a quick scene, but yeah. I remember sitting across from him uh, while we were standing on our marks, where they were sort of doing some stuff, and I was looking at him, and I'm like trying to find the weird, like <laughs> what is, what what makes. Like how does that stuff come out of your brain? He is the nicest, most polite, generous, kind man. Like, I mean, I can't say that with absolute certainty. I worked with him for a scene. I, like, mm-hmm. I spent a day working with him. But he, like, there's no. If you just met him on the street, you wouldn't think Crash was in his head. Like, you wouldn't yeah. think those things were in his head, right? Um, and I think Simon's a little bit like that, where you sort of go, Really nice, like just a really great, intelligent, affable Very affable you know, charming, um, chit chatty uh gentleman and then you go, Why? That <laughs> is in your head. What is happening? In yeah. There? But no, I just think he makes these really astute observations and connections, and and then we'll write a story from that, right?
0: Yeah, we worry about you, Simon. We hope your brain's going to be okay. I'm sure it is. He's (laughs) going to be just fine. I want to pick up a thread that we dropped in the first five minutes (laughs) of the podcast of this episode. Um, And it's funny because usually, like, (laughs) this is how we launch everything, and you know, now we're kind of gearing down, but. You at nine years old. Oh right. How do we get from nine-year-old you and Don Mills to right. here? Like, what kind of a, a kid were you? And I mean, you said weird. Like, what did you what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, anybody but me. Like, it was a weird thing because um, I
1: remember my parents. Although I we didn't grow up with much money. Um, we weren't poor. Like, we were just able to afford. What we needed, yeah. but I was telling my husband the story the other day. Sundays were for my mom to grab some coupons, and like you know, you have those coupons of like maximum four per family kind of a thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So she'd get as many of those as she could, and we'd go to like multiple no frills. Like I don't know if they have them; they don't have them here, but they you know, no do frills? have a
0: few no frills here, right? Yeah. Okay, so we'd go to multiple it's no the, frills. The yellow,
1: yes, yeah. the yellow no name, like basic, basic groceries. So we'd go to multiple, our Sundays would be spent after, between church because we'd go to my dad's church in the morning my mom's church in the afternoon. But we'd go, it was either Saturdays or Sundays.
0: Did you go to two churches? Yeah, it was a lot.
1: (laughs) 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 Um, But there were, you know, driving to multiple no frills so we could stock up on like no name Coke. Yeah. Right? So, which is a commitment to couponing, but she'd like make my brother and I go. There in, are apps so we for that like, now. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, um, so just to paint a picture of how unaffluent my family was, but they would, when they can, they we would subscribe to the local theater company. So it was either uh, the Royal Alex Theater or the or the O'Keefe Center, which is I don't even know what it's called anymore.
0: I think it was the Hummingbird, and it was the Hummingbird, and, and now
1: it's something else. But um, I love,
0: but I. I find that an interesting, like, okay, so, like, we have enough, we have just, we we got our our no-name coke, and we're good, and so we're going to get theater tickets. Like, that's, but that's incredible. But it's because they
1: appreciated the arts, and that's something that I always, you know, um, appreciated growing up. I come from a kind of an academic family, which is, as a high school dropout, my parents are like, head in hands, what happened? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Side note, funny story. My first real TV series was uh, an English television series called The New Professionals, and it shot in London. And I had gone there for the screen test and stuck around because my boyfriend at the time, his brother was getting married. Um, So I stuck around for the wedding. They happened to coincide at the same time. I came back. I had like less than a week to pack my life up to, to move to London. And I remember when I got back, I looked at my mom and dad, and I'm like, so... I got the part, I moved to London. And the first thing out of my mother's mouth is like, that's great, now you can study. Um. <laughs> I'm like, but I can't, I can't. Mom, I, I have the job, like I have to work. And she's like, but you can also maybe study acting while you're there, right? Go to school, maybe. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And and that, but I love how that's like you know because you said that your dad's parents have been like you can go away but you yeah. have to like study and then yeah. he ends up with a with a woman who's like yeah you're gonna you yeah. study yeah well her
1: father was a professor and her mother was a school teacher. So, oh like I really come from an academic family like in terms of <laughs> a family that wants to you know like just learn stuff and get the alphabet soup after their name but going to the theater uh, I remember when I was like seven or eight. I saw Porgy and Bess. And I wanted to be Porgy. I'm like, I wanna do that, Like, I wanna be Porgy. My poor father was like, I don't think you're ever gonna get cast as Porgy. But I identified with Porgy because he was the little one on the stage. (laughs) Because he was on (laughs) his knees the whole time. And he was, you know what I mean? And he was like, yeah, but I don't think you're gonna play the disabled black man. I don't think that's gonna happen for you. But then like, I think the next year I got to see, I remember it as being Patty Lupone and Mandy Patinkin in Evita on the touring company. I, what? That's how I remember it. Yes, I could be wrong, but I wanted to be Evita, so I was the nine-year-old who was running around the house going, "Watch out,
0: Buenos Aires!" Because, like, I was—you got to see, yeah, Patty Lupone, mm-hmm. Mandy Patinkin.
1: I think I did. I could be fucking that memory up because I actually have to check the Google and see if they were in a touring company and came to Toronto, because if they were, then yes, I did see them.
0: Because I could be conflating it, because I think they were the um, OBC on the soundtrack. Okay, one of the first results that comes up is Patti LaPone and Mandy Patinkin, a Vita tour. So let's see what that were is. Were they in Toronto in the late 70s, early 80s? If they were, then yes, I saw them there. Um, okay, I'm not gonna keep looking, but it looks like they did. Right. Um, you, so, yes. I also lucky got to see. Son of
1: a gun! <laughs> in the Scottish play, I got to see um, Christopher Plummer and Glenda Jackson. What? Which was amazing. They came to Toronto. This I isn't so a theater. Mad. Does this
0: count as a theater? Um, this space. I don't.
1: I don't. I'm not a theater actor, so I don't know what the rules are.
0: Yeah, but so you're just going to play it safe and say the Scottish. play. I'm going to
1: say the Scottish play, but, um, but it, I was so mad. My husband got to see the Scottish play with. Um, It wasn't, I think, I can't remember if it was Patrick Stewart or Ian McKellen. What? I think it was Patrick Stewart in London. And then like the following year, he was there for another convention. And he got to see Waiting for Godot with Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen and Simon, I can't remember Simon's last name, but I was just sitting there going, that is not fair. I'm at home with the children and you're, it's not fair. I was like stamping my feet. I was so mad.
0: No, I get it. I'm so mad. We've mentioned, or you have mentioned your right. husband a few times. Can we just right. say his name? Oh yeah, Michael Shanks. Yeah, it's Michael yeah. Shanks. He was on uh, Stargate for ten L- little years. Little show, Stargate. Yeah, and also Unspeakable and Saving Hope and all sort. Yeah. I mean, he's been he's done so And he play, he played a ship, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Gabriel. Yeah, <laughs> on
1: Andromeda. Ba- what was his? But the Balance of Judgment. The yeah, that was Balance
0: him. of Judgment. Um, are are
1: your like were your parents happy
0: in the end with your no. with your career?
1: Choices? No, I, I'm not gonna say no. I think they were more like because I was such a chaotic bratty teenager that um, I think
0: I'm gonna have one of those. Oh, they're great. Yeah. I mean, they're like. Listen, my she's nine, and like the sat. She's so smart. She's so nine. talented. She knows it. Oh yeah, It's but that's a good thing though. Yeah. But yeah, it I don't makes it really difficult for you for parenting for sure. Oh yeah, like
1: and it was very funny because I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I'm like, I've come to the realization because the number of arguments, especially because my my younger daughter is a, is a teenager now, and she and I are so much alike, oh. and she's like a piece of my soul that walks around outside of my body. That's so the like, way Mari is like we that. fight, yeah. is hilarious. But also like she triggers me and I act like a child. Like it's, it's embarrassing. But at the same time, <laughs> you know, as my husband, he's like, oh yeah, you're raising her to be a feminist and to question authority and all that other, but you just don't want her to question yours. And I'm like, no, of course not.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, and why is that so hard to understand? This is all the, and never mind the fact that
1: also trying to like, I was saying to my friend, I'm like, basically parenting is gaslighting your children
0: and it starts young. Like, that's what we do. You we know, my daughter listens her to her the podcast. I do not want her to listen to this episode. <laughs> Even though I'm like, listen to all the stuff at the yeah. at the beginning of the t- episode. Yeah, this, You can just edit this out for her. For her. But, the, yeah. the, the, the Mari Furminger. <laughs> that's her Because it was like, oh. I,
1: my husband, I was telling my husband, I'm like, yeah, because it works like this. When they fall down, and like, you're fine, honey. You're fine. That's the first thing we say. Yeah. We gaslight our kids. That's what we do. And then when they call us out on it, we get mad. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I like cannot does. believe this is the first time we're speaking. Yeah. This is like total kindred spirits. Um, okay, so and in a couple of minutes, we are going to play Favorite right. Things, which oh, was yay. developed by my nine-year-old. Questions for you, tell me I'm about your so favorite excited. things. Before we do that, right. um, I want to ask you some questions about roles. Right. What's Alexa Doig role?
1: meaning like what is one th- that i love or one that i look for or one that i get excited by or one that i've played that i really liked or yes
0: i mean it's re- <laughs> it's really a, ty- a type of role you know that like the the kind that like you where you are the most like invigorated and you can feel i'm not an actor cuz right. like i'm just like you can but i'm imagining right. that there are some roles that you are just like you put them on like a skin suit, right. and you're like i am at home and i like this person uh, yeah um I like real
1: people. Like it's one of my favorite roles was on Arctic Air, because I was just playing this you know nurse who has a kid and has is trying to navigate life. I mean, I just get really happy. I've spent so much time in sci-fi. I just get really happy being able to wear natural fibers. Like it's yeah. just exciting for me. But <laughs> at the same time, it's like because I you know as much as I like the badass you know female character, it's a trope and it's equally as um, derivative. As any other kind of um, female archetype that that we've seen that generally tend to be extensions of male characters, like the girlfriend or the wife or the whatever. It's like, what purpose are you serving in the male leads life as opposed to who are you on your own? That was a problem that I had with Andromeda from the very beginning. Is that she was an appendage of Dylan Hunt, Sorbo's character. Yeah, he literally is like, I am your heart. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I have to serve him. Like it yeah. was there was a weird dynamic there that I, you know, I worked to kind of get around and, you know, and not play into and play against. Yeah. Um, and the writers were great about not you know, recognizing that and not overly writing it. But you know, uh, traditionally we've seen a lot of female characters that are
0: appendages of male characters. Yeah. Traditionally we also have had a lot of men in writers' rooms. Yes,
1: yeah. and the more that changes. But the pendulum going the other direction is then suddenly you have this female character that can do no wrong. Mm. that is the strongest that is the smartest that is the prettiest that is the sexiest that is the and it's like fuck off with that like that's equally as dismissive yeah. and unrealistic you know and, and one of the things that I periodically get um, irritated by is the whole you know especially because you do see it sometimes it's like these female characters that can do no wrong, or you know, actors uh, actors that play them sort of going, yeah, my character wouldn't do that. It's like your character can be complicated; they can make mistakes, and yeah. they can fuck up. Um, there's a show that I well, I read the script for, and I loved it so much, and I'm so happy. I listen, I would have loved to have gotten it, but I'm happy that Jewel State got it. Family Law. Family Law. I'm so excited. I'm for so it. excited. Like, for Like I would have loved to have played her, yeah. but. Honestly, Jewel is fantastic. And that's fantastic. a Susan
0: Nielsen joint that's oh, coming it, very soon. Um, yeah. it,
1: but I loved that character because yeah. she's fucked up and she's complicated and she's a real person. Those are the characters that I really like to play yeah. and want to play. Uh,
0: what's a, a role that you haven't played yet that you would love to play?
1: Um, I was about to say a Marvel superhero just because uh, I love Marvel. But also, I don't think I would because I'm too old, and that would hurt a lot. For you know what I mean, like with the,
0: yeah. But you know warrior. what, there are incredible stunt stu- doubles. Stunt this is true. Yeah, this is true. You know, um, could get Janine Carlton. Oh, you know? she's amazing. Um, <laughs> or my Ro. Either one. You yeah. know, they could. Uh, I'm just trying to... I mean I i'm at, I'm out of an age right now although granted I have for the last well, week I've been working out an hour a day and I feel pretty good but every time I stand up or sit down oh, I yeah. have to make a sound yeah I know that's me because yeah. like, I went I I took advantage of quarantine and decided
1: because we had a gym in our house so yeah. I'm like I'm gonna work I'm gonna do the thing and I'm gonna get fit okay so for the ladies out there men you might not be interested in this but perimenopause sucks ballsack.
0: I think men should listen. I think men should listen.
1: I hear you. Well, Listen about perimenopause, dudes. Is the worst. Because I'm sitting there going, I'm going to get fit. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to be skinny. Yes, I'm shallow. Fuck off. Anyway. um, No, not happening. I mean, I'm getting fitter, which is the important part. So, yes. But at the same time, I'm just like, why... Why I just
0: oh, everything hurts now. Everything hurts, and everything
1: like I hurts. work out. I'm
0: like you. I work out about an hour a day, at least yeah. five days a week. I've done and it for a week, and um, <clears throat> my God, I gave up. Co- I was telling you before I started <clears throat> growing, We gave up coffee, except for one cup, and I, I hate that I feel so much better because I hate working out. Like, yeah. I have to distract myself either by watching something right. um, on, on Netflix so I can read the right. captions or playing Animal Crossing and listening to podcasts. Like, I right. can't because I hate it. And I also, I love coffee so much and I not, know. like, it's, and I'm like, wow, I actually feel better and I'm sleeping through the night. I I'm know. still a total hot mess in so yeah. many aspects of my life. But, yeah, it's, okay. Favorite things. Yes. So, um, these questions were developed by um, our our crack uh Question maker here, nine-year-old Mariana Um, Furminger, and uh, she really believes that the the answers to these questions can provide a window into your soul. Great. The the key, right? Answer from your gut, right? Don't think about it. Okay. Although if you're gonna panic, that's fine too. I love watching people panic. Okay. So, welcome to favorite things.
1: Favorite
0: things. Favorite things. Favorite things. Favorite
1: karaoke song. Oh, oh. Oh, you know what? It's got to be some. I don't. I don't do karaoke. I'm like the only Filipino on the planet that can't sing. Um,
0: I'm actually surprised. I mean, I ask everybody this question, but right. I'm like Filipinos. Gotta yeah, have
1: no, it. I don't. I I don't. I I because I so I don't do karaoke. Although I do have a history of doing um, waterfalls by TLC. Don't go chasing it's the, waterfalls. It's the rap that I nail, um, and have had. Uh, Drunken, a couple of drunken nights where I've done that one. So we'll go TLC Waterfalls. More about the rap. Than can you give things. us a taste? I can't remember. I need to hear it off the top of my head. Um, I seen a rainbow yesterday, today to t- the too many storms have come and gone, leave and a trace of now when God gave and raised it, because my life is ten shades of gray. No, I pray all ten fade away, prels- seldom praising for the sunny days. And like his promise is true, only my faith can undo. The many chances I blew to bring my life to new, Clear blue and unconditional skies have dried the tears from my
0: eyes. No more lonely cries. <laughs> Anyway. <coughs> rest in power Lisa yes. Left Eye Lopez yes. okay favorite video game
1: oh oh it's gotta be I don't play video games but it's gotta be Skyrim watching
0: my husband play Skyrim is hilarious does he have like a whole other life in Skyrim like, Paul pa- plays Skyrim too does. and he's like well I have to go look after my family in Skyrim and I'm like he, he he kinda does
1: <laughs> but, in, but it's hilarious because it's like I just like the weapons like the Wabbajack yeah. is this like random stick that Jack. fun to say yeah, yeah, fun to say and it just <laughs> does you don't know like a chicken could fly out of it and i mean yeah. like that's genius <laughs> That's so cool
0: <laughs> uh, Favorite junk food? Oh, chicharron <gasps> Chicken chicharron or, or pork chicharron? Pork chicharron I like chicken Yeah but So good we're, we're talking to, it's like it's, it's just it's like fried rinds. Yeah, fried pork rinds uh, But like it's not like, like there's like western pork rinds eh, and then there's chicharron Yeah It's just better it's Very bad. good answer yeah. Favorite superhero?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. Um, mm, I think I might have to go with Black Panther. I've
0: that, that's loved my Black daughter's Panthers. answer. Is that's that really? her answer. Yeah.
1: I've always lo- Like since I was a kid, I've loved Black Panther. I just thought he was the coolest.
0: Do you know that you know one of the voices of Black I Panther? I do.
1: I know. That's so exciting. I was like,
0: Omari. But who oh. else but Omari could be who Black Panther? Who else but Omari? Favorite supervillain. Oh, that's a tough one. Hmm
1: you know I'm just thinking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe I I have a love hate with Killmonger because I don't even think he's really a bad guy oh my god
0: did you hear what? the episode with Omari? Uh, you, see, you haven't heard it yet, but he and I, we talk, because I bring that up. I'm like, I love Killmonger, yeah. but I just, I, I, I would say it he's hurts. my favorite villain, but yeah, yeah it hurt, like because he, I feel, for like he kills lots of people, but yeah. I feel for, I empathize yeah. to the point he's where I'm like, he's got a point. He's got a point. He's got a point. We are really kind of but, kindred spirits, Lexa. Uh, yeah, I'm really fabulous. Like, Really feeling it.
1: Um, I love it. Uh, so I would say either Loki or Hela hella Hila. hella he- hella yeah just because Kate blanchett i love everything that she does and she was just having so much fun chewing all of the scenery oh there was, there was not there. a piece of that set that did not have her <laughs> teeth marks in it and it was pretty sure chris hemsworth had and, some and, teeth yeah and, teeth and it marks was worth it. every second <laughs> like you chow down because that was
0: amazing that was, was so much fun so yeah. so good okay what was your favorite show when you were nine years old mash yeah. Okay. I've got some follow up questions because okay. that is one of my fa- like top three shows of all time. Oh my god, that's yeah. so funny. Um.
1: So are to you this day
0: I literally periodically look at like
1: a script, yeah, and a character, and in my head I'm like, what would Alan Alda do? Yeah. What would Alan Alda do? Like, yeah.
0: Um. Put respect on his name. He's amazing. Oh, yes. Um. Are you? Were you a? F- See, I can't watch seasons one to three, um, right. except for, like, the very last episode, because I'm not a fan of the Colonel Blake years at all. Like, I love... I'm torn, because, like,
1: Frank was so easy to make fun of. But, yeah, the the show settled into its bones a little bit better when... It was Colonel, Colonel Potter, Potter, and it was... And BJ. Um, and BJ and... and
0: um, Oh Charles. Charles, Charles, Charles Emerson Winchester. They did have Winchester. some overlap with Frank, yeah. um, but who apparently Lara Linville, really sweet man yes. behind the scenes as well. So and yeah, it's a shame because they started. And apparently Gary Berghoff kind of nutty. Yeah, like, yeah. Apparently, but anyway, Radar. Yeah. <sighs> Honestly, <laughs> spirits. This is like shocking to me. Okay, what was your favorite movie when you were nine years old? Oh, nine, nine-ish could be in that nine-ish.
1: range. <laughs> I can't even remember. we I don't remember. Go- I remember the first movie I think I went to go and see was Labyrinth. But I was like 11 or 12. My parents, my dad has multiple sclerosis, so he's been in a wheelchair since I was eight. So we didn't really go out to movies, movies. Like, yeah. we'd go to the theater. Interestingly enough, talking about subscribing to the local theater um, is that we'd always have to get a box because that's the only place that you could put a wheelchair. Again not bad but not awesome sightlines just to point that out i know boxes are kind people of people pay for it to
0: have that opportunity to sit in in, in the, the box. Box, in the box but you're yeah you're at this. the sightlines kind However, of However i will say i don't know if you you do you did this mm-hmm. but sitting in a box especially the ones that are closest to the stage right. i remember seeing um Oh God, what was the theater in Toronto that had? like maybe it was the Winter Garden. It has right. all, like the foliage. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I saw Anna Green Gables there, and we were sitting like in one of those boxes, and I was watching. Like you can actually kind of see the people waiting behind oh, yeah. the. You can like, see behind right it. in the wings, and I thought like that was like it was it was so magical to have yeah. that peek behind the curtain. Yeah, um, I can totally
1: relate because yeah. that's one of the things that made me want to be an actor, which is like ironic because I'm not a theater actor, but yeah, it was one of those things that made me want to do it. Yeah favorite but, oh favorite movie i'm going to go with something in the star wars realm just because i think that's this the right time period
0: okay so safe but, answer this yeah. is really the this as you can tell from looking around you this is the this is the audience for that um, favorite hot beverage um probably coffee yeah how do you take it um like as a latte yeah i'm
1: a lightweight like i i have i was a tea drinker most of my life weirdly enough until i moved to england which was weird because like i know don't get me wrong like i best tea that i can have and it was nice to finally be around people who knew how to make a cup of tea properly yeah mm-hmm. um but then i started drinking coffee there for some reason because oh yeah they don't have craft service so irritating um because i had to explain to them It's like i i i need craft service like and they're like well there's a coffee urn and a tea urn and the tea urn was disgusting so i think that's why i ended up drinking coffee
0: oh yeah
1: tragic um
0: favorite cold beverage
1: cold yeah, water like i know it sounds lame but it's kind of my go-to like because everything else i kind of have to be in the mood for and like after a certain age you just can't drink coke
0: you just can't no name sugar. or otherwise no name yeah, I, I other ones, yeah i have i'm not drinking soda question you, for you Coke yeah? or pepsi oh um you're a montrealer yeah <sighs> okay if, if I had like honestly, my favorite soft drink of all time is brio, I don't know if you had brio yes. um I grew up in the eighties in the era of um you know diet Pepsi yeah, and all of yeah, that, yeah. and so like that was cool then but i i actually i really like um no, it's different in North America. I like, when I'm in, in Europe and actually Asia as well, Coke Light. Like, the Diet Coke oh, there, right. it tastes different because they don't use all the shitty chemicals. They right. use a different kind of more regulated chemicals. Right. Um, yeah, but I love, like diet like cherry coke oh yeah yeah, like that
1: kind of stuff i'm a big fan of like cherry coke zero
0: was my jam for the longest time yeah but i'm not like honestly right now it's it's coconut water in hindi or a buko uh or um or yeah just water drinking water right now or or a prosecco but only on weekends um favorite vacation destination okay this is tragic i don't we don't take vacations because we're actors so we're like
1: we're cut like unemployment is vacation yeah um, okay if you
0: if you could but go if somewhere I, could play, I
1: would want to go someplace tropical yeah yeah just what about a,
0: to what about to the Philippines like Boracay I'd or love something. to
1: I'd love to go to Boracay yeah. it's the the you know getting there with a family of five
0: not cheap no no yeah. and also we we can't go anywhere yeah. that's why this is like a fantasy question yeah exactly it's a fantasy question <laughs> alright this is the last question mm. for my daughter right It's the big one. Okay. Lexa. Okay. Okay? So give it the respect it deserves. Right. Um, Favorite animal? Cat. That's the only appropriate answer for Mari. Right. Do you have it? Do you have cat right now? We have two cats. Yeah? Yeah. What are their names? Hudson and Hicks.
1: Interesting. Well, Michael names. Michael names are, are cats. Sort of. Okay, so we had years ago, uh, just before Michael and I got married, we got two kittens that I kind of hand raised because they were like four or five weeks old. Whoa! And um, and I had hand raised them, and we were trying to think of names, and he came up. They're female cats, and he came up with Rosenkrantz and Gildenstern, which became Emma Rosenkrantz and Jemima Gildenstern, which then became Rosie and Gildy. And so mm-hmm. they were our cats for the longest time. Um, they died within six months of each other because Gildy went missing. We think a coyote got her. Oh! And then Rosie. Just had something really wrong with her and was in a lot of pain, and and we had to yeah. put her down. But in the in the interim between Gildy disappearing and Rosie dying, uh, my best friend Mandy was living with us, and she had a cat named Ashley. Ashley was nineteen and had to be put down. And then I oh, had, what a, gr- a
0: good old, was, old lady though! Oh, like, that's yeah. a nice life. It was a
1: nice. She had a good life. Um, and uh, <laughs> I panic bought because I literally had lost. Gildy and we put Ashley down and had Rosie alone at home and we were in a mall and I'm like I just got a kitten. Just got a kitten from a pet store, which I don't recommend doing. No, But I was like. But in, you rescued that cat. But, but I was also in yeah. a grief ridden kind of like I want a kitten and so we got Marty. Marty was the only cat that we've had that Michael did not name and Marty ended up getting got by a coyote. So and like right after that happened we had to put Rosie down and I was a basket case, because I'm like, a house is not a home without cats. Within four days, I had two new kittens yeah. that we adopted, um, and Michael named them Hudson and Hicks. Love it.
0: Did you? Yep. And you adopted from, was it SPCA or Volcra? No, we adopted through Kijiji. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. Because it was somebody that had, they had a purebred um, rag doll, and she got out. So they were just trying to kind of clear the kittens, and I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, I will, she got out. I will cover. I know what that means. Room. Yes, and it was very funny because when we drove up to the house to, to get the kittens, um, we we're driving by another house where there was this like gang of cats that had like cigarettes rolled up. I was gonna say, rooms. were they like smoking and combing their hair? Seriously, they had like cigarettes, <laughs> and they were just like lying there staring at us go by. And I'm like, I think I know who. Mm. Uh, <laughs> well, that's who a she dad. went to yeah. go and see. It was kind of funny. <laughs>
0: Um, I, I don't. You have not seen this, but I, I have. Um, and when I say skins, I mean stickers, not actual right. skin. But I have skins of of my old cat Stan Lee and my oh. my current cats, some um, Wade Wilson and Vanessa, on my computer. Oh, that's right so cute. now. So I'll show you them after. Right. Um, okay. Bef- before we bid you adieu yes. today, Alexa, and honestly, you like. Oh, I will come back anytime. Come back anytime. I love the sound of my own voice. And uh, like, so do I. And um, I feel like we're like we're vibrating. Yeah, Yeah, we're vibrating at the same energy. There you go, man. yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, Time travel, right? Uh, If you could go back in time to the very beginning of your career, right? Um, and you had like a minute, right, to give yourself some advice, right? What advice would you give yourself, or would you not say anything at all? I think I'd just say take more risks. That take would, more risks.
1: Yeah, take more risks. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter. Like, there's this idea, I think, that a lot of young actors have of um, needing to plot out their career. Yeah. And the reality is, as an actor, especially if you want to stick around in Canada, Michael and I chose not to leave. I think, you know, there are a lot of actors that move down to L.A., understandably so because they're looking for bigger and better opportunities and we just wanted to stay here and raise our kids and hopefully try and elevate the status of the industry here Mm. not that i'm that sounds like i'm kind of tooting our horns and making us sound good but it's it's kind of like
0: you want to it's a team effort i mean i get it i'm trying to do my part as well like we're all part of this ecosystem keep bringing
1: up the the um, the canadian industry and uh, the idea that Anybody's paying attention to the little details of what you will pain over. Nobody's nobody gives a fuck. Nobody yeah. cares. Just go take risks, be an artist. Except my mom, you know, who will watch you,
0: and then <laughs> <laughs> and then like fifteen years later, be um, what, this were one moment. what were in you this thinking in this final? But it was your. I thought you might remember because it was your right. final moment. No, don't remember. Part of.
1: Let me put that into context, though. Yeah. we shot the last season of Andromeda when I was pregnant with my first child. When I was pregnant with Mia. And uh, I went back to work two weeks after she was born. So that, the last four or five episodes of Andromeda, I was probably operating on an hour's sleep. I was breastfeeding, I was, you know what I mean? Like I have very little recollection of that time period because I was so sleep deprived.
0: (laughs) Solidarity, I hear that. Lexa Doig. It's a yeah. fucking doy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can swear away. Yeah. It's been a fucking pleasure. Yay! Um, I've had so much fun. I've had a great time. You got to come back. Absolutely. Uh, where Anytime. can our fans find you, celebrate you, celebrate you on the social media?
1: Oh, uh, at Lexadoig, at Twitter and, and Instagram. Are you on the TikTok? I, you know what? Here's the thing. I just signed up for the TikTok. You did? I did. I don't understand it. Me my either. daughter my daughter was like I said to my daughter, I'm like, You have to you have to explain to me the ways of the TikTok and she's like, No. <laughs> and I'm like, What do you mean, no? And she's like, I don't want you on TikTok. So I finally kind of started to figure it out and I've started like liking some of her and her friends different things and I'm just waiting for the blowback. Mm. Like I'm waiting for the get off of TikTok. It's mine. Yeah. Wow. She's not that cheeky actually, but yeah. I'm
0: just waiting for it, but I Ooh, think I get it. It's funny. Solidarity is all yeah. I'm going to say. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Lexa. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and not TikTok at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ferminger. I'm the only one to blame. It's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad. And to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger for technical support. Yes, we are a family business. And to Dane Devolay for the original music. Why Bear Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And Cut! There's a reason I've conducted dozens of interviews with Vancouver film and television stars at Neverland Tea Salon. Because it feels like home. Well, not my actual home, but the home of my dreams. A place that's cozy and whimsical, where the music isn't too loud, the staff feels like old friends, and the menu is straight out of, well, Neverland. It's a home away from home for me. The team at Neverland Tea Salon has poured immense thought and love into every corner of their Kitsilano oasis, from the expansive selection of teas to the teacups suspended from the ceiling. They have a delicious and constantly changing menu of gluten-free, dairy-free, vegetarian and vegan options. Not to mention options packed with gluten and dairy too, and an adorable tea service for the little ones featuring fun treats like mini pizzas, bites of cookie dough and lots and lots of sprinkles. And for the grown-ups, there is a long, long list of tipsy teas for you to choose from. FYI, I usually order the gluten-free, dairy-free tea with Peter's Promise as my hot tea and a flute of bubbly. My favorite thing, and it's happened more than once, is after I've interviewed a local star at Neverland during the week. I pass by on the weekend and there that star is again, enjoying a high tea service in the window. Neverland is one of my favorite places on this planet. So if you live in the Lower Mainland or are planning a trip to Vancouver, well, as Peter Pan says, would you like to have your adventure now? Or would you like to have your tea first? Plan a tea adventure of your own at NeverlandTeaSalon.com. That's NeverlandTeaSalon.com.